0: thanks for the discernment um um, i also want to give a book recommendation that has like very deeply influenced uh, me and was given to me actually by like a zen monk a long time back must have been like 18 years or so so like in my mid-20s it's called zen and war and like very interestingly sketches like the like deep Mechanisms of how in Japan the same agnostic techniques, right, that taught the Buddha enlightenment, right, without the compassionate part, were teaching like soldiers to become kamikaze pilots and, you know, tens of thousands of people committing suicide at the same time when uh, Japan uh, was uh, defeated because, um, yeah, this, this, this mm. should not happen. So, this discernment of yours to say mindfulness and compassion i mean we both know that since the ancient old scriptures you know in buddhism you know they need to go like hand in hand
1: mm, two wings of a bird yeah
0: yeah absolutely one without the other like um, doesn't doesn't really make sense you know mm. also i would not recommend just the compassion part without the mindfulness mm. part mm-hmm. right it will be a very Feely, lofty, drifty. Exactly, I don't know what. It, it can be know. a bit woolly, yeah. You, yep. you need that anchoring yourself in yourself and then like opening sure. up. A phrase I,
1: a phrase I really like is sort of um, soft in front and uh, strong in back, that actually oh. the kind of backbone, rigor, diligence, you know, yeah. d- uh, discipline are all a really important part of this sort of inner transformation path. But then, but then also is the self-care and the allowing and the softness and the receptivity, you know,
0: yeah. Um, it, two things, I wanna touch on a trauma and then I have like a, a critical notion towards the end. So first the trauma piece and I'm really only mentioning my own story, to 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 add a little bit spice to the soup of our encounter. So I burnt myself really as a child. Out of that resulted post-traumatic stress disorder, yadi yadi. And um, it was not up until I already had like 10 to 15 years of like meditative and contemplative practice. That I recognized I can have these deep states of oneness experiences and bliss and whatnot. But ultimately, a lot of the trauma was still like ruling my lives and especially coping the coping mechanisms that, uh, that I was applying. So, my understanding up until reading the paper, and I'm really curious on your thoughts of that. This also when I do coach people or people just want a recommendation, I usually say, if you have done 20 years of meditation and you have not done any therapy, mm-hmm. do therapy or yeah. cancellation <laughs> work or couples counseling. If you have done only therapy, couples counseling, you know, stuff like that, mm. maybe it's time to meditate. So I see them almost like complementary. And when I look at the way that like brought me to where i am here it's certainly you know complementing this contemplative meditative mystical path i would say i'm primarily a mystic with that um, path of like healing so the waking up with the healing and i'm, I'm just you know when i was reading that quote uh, that that you brought up from Alvina um Alamed, you know mm. in in this study i'm just like curious i'm curious less about Precisely the answer from the study point of view, but more how do you see like trauma and contemplation meditation sitting together? Because Mm. I have the feeling it's more like complementary, like therapy and meditation. Because I see too many people in my own surroundings sometimes meditating for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, but they're never working through their trauma. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it just needs other interventions, another toolbox, another mm-hmm. type of teacher. And usually, uh, uh, whatever, an awakened Zen monk, right, has not even a sensitivity towards trauma. Mm-hmm. He might even be traumatized himself. So, yeah, this is a very complex topic, but I would like to give this a couple of minutes. Ago. I mean, I yeah,
1: it, it's it's complex. Uh, interesting and really important, and really common for it to be a major, uh, a major issue um, amongst uh, people who are really dedicating themselves to the contemplative path and, and getting into some deep layers of stuff without, like you say, the support of therapists or, or, or like, or particularly body body centred therapies like somatic experiencing and things that have been you know developed to work with exactly like system my energy. major
0: break breakthrough like somatic yeah. experience Exa- exactly yeah
1: yeah and you know I'll share a personal anecdote that I had a uh, traumatic social experience when I was uh, about 13 and it led to um, there was kind of developmental trauma like chronic, chronic stuff going on as well like when I say like trauma, I mean, I mean certainly nervous system dysregulation uh, in a chronic way leading up to a particular event, which was which was definitely traumatizing, Le- leading to me for like uh, a sort of fragmented um, uh, personal story. What do you call that? Like um, episodic memory. So like repressed memories, fragmented, like part of my life was just like a bit lost in my memory, never looked back, you know, that kind of thing. And um, uh, completely sort of oblivious somehow that this was, you know, know, the language of trauma wasn't there, of course. um, But, you know, thought I was super psychologically healthy and that there was nothing I didn't talk about or I didn't look at, you know, like I was from a talky family, you know, we talked about our emotions, you know. So, you know, um, it was amazing looking back that that was the case. And uh, it was my first month-long meditation retreat, so you uh, know I'd been practicing for a time, but this is my first time I've been away on a silent retreat for that long. And I got, and I, I kind of got into this territory in a way, in a way that um, yeah, it was an enormously helpful. But, God, it would, be, uh, it would have been a lot easier if I had had the frameworks to understand that this was going to be something I had to work through and that actually I need to include the body in this and not just sit in my mind and try and, you know, try and do jujitsu on it um, and, and integrate it with therapy, exactly as you say. Um, and in the last, last 10 years or so, I have used multiple modalities to, 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 to work through stuff. And it's just such a bodily thing you know it's just uh i don't know it's if it's if it's possible to to meditate through it even your even your whole life and if you even you wanted to if you didn't have these other other ways so i completely agree with you um and for me you know it didn't come up in a mindfulness class it didn't really come up in any of my previous meditation experience although i had been on you know week-long retreats and you know uh, not, not in a way that I did when I was on my month long. Uh, but for some people it comes up straight away, like they close their eyes and they've been repressing their emotions or thoughts or bodily experience or something about their inner lives, for instance, it's just an example, but, th- but they go to a mindfulness class, maybe they've been told to go there by an employer and it's not really even under their, totally under their own, you know, Turn out their own choice, and they're told to close their eyes and then t- t- attend to their bodies. Maybe the teacher doesn't, you know, really understand about these things or know to give people different options and go, like, you know, you can use the breath, but for some people that's a bit difficult. So if you can always come back to your feet, like there's this um uh, trend, thankfully, recently, as this started to become um more understood, towards trauma-sensitive mindfulness. So this is, and then there's a book called Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness by David Trelevin, um, uh, and a colleague of mine is working with him on a, on a, on a new one, um, a workbook for, um, for, for, for teachers, I think, or for um, participants. And uh, it's, it's really to acknowledge the fact that 70% of people have an adverse childhood experience, that it's probably le- leading to some level of nervous system dysregulation. So if you're one of those 30%, you know, Great if you're one of the rest of if you're the rest of us, you know, it, it might you might not you might not call it trauma and it and it may, you know, maybe it wouldn't be right to call it trauma. But there's maybe some level of something trapped in your body in the way in the way that there's still echoes of that difficult time or experience that was too much, too fast, or too soon for your current for for your your mind at that point. Um so yeah, there's evidence that mindfulness and compassion can be really helpful with trauma. Um in particular if if held appropriately um uh, and when i say trauma in that context i mean like serious trauma i mean like ptsd um and the trauma of everyday life or nervous system dysregulation you know needs to be considered by teachers it's another example why the wild west of meditation teachers is is um On the one hand, may a thousand flowers bloom, and it's great there are so many different approaches and people doing different things. On the other hand, if you're not part of the kind of science-based, mindfulness-informed world in which there's a profession and a dialogue and, you know, like continual professional development and et cetera, then you you will be completely unaware of all this stuff. And that we will be doing people a disservice by by not having you know not having learned about it. so yeah
0: um, I think I would ask you a last question, and then, out of all these beautiful quotes in in the study, and also for the audience, um, I will post a link uh, to to the study in the in the written description of the podcast as well. I'm especially. Mentioning this because I personally find few studies accessible for quote unquote laymen. So, really, just for people that want to, you know, say, Hey, I have an hour, you know, I, I, I kind of like read it through and I get a couple of insights. But this one both from the, let's say, complexity of the language. It needs to be complex, but it's still like, you know, it's like concise, the chapters are short, you're not drowning people in footnotes. Um, So I want to recommend this study. My last question for for us today, unless we're riffing off more here and there, but for today was, when you did this study and now this study done and you basically starting a couple of like, uh, you know, podcasts and wanting to influence people with that, what, what would be in your own theory of change, like implications of this last study? What would you like hmm. to see happening in whatever, half a year, a year, two years from now? So like more, I'm more asking you for the horizon one to, to two.
1: Yeah, one to two years. Yeah, so, so this is a, um, yeah, so we've created this as a policy report. So we, we've, done, we've done a study, um, as I mentioned, interviews, consultation, we've got academic stuff coming out of that. But this report, although we did have an expert generalist in mind or you know, someone who's interested in, you know, in ideas and psychology and the uh, um, climate crisis in mind as well, the report was written with a policymaker in mind. And we actually have recommendations at the end, which are like what we want to happen. You know, what, what, what we want people in, in the European Commission or the, or the British, British um, government or you know, wherever to do. And, and in fact, there's also research funders and national institutions, transnational bodies that we, that we include in our recommendations. Realistically, I don't see anyone um, I don't see most of the recommendations being acted upon in the next two years, apart from, I hope, the innovation and research recommendations, because this is really, this is where we, you know, we really need some, some more work. I think we can be brave and confident enough to get going and use public funds to start doing some, um, you know, some, some scaled programs in the general population or for political leaders right now. But, you know, for um, we, we do need much more evidence building and, and innovation to, to create programs that specifically target. Sustainability and collective action, what you might call social mindfulness, that bring in the social container and um, the culture that we that we swim in and use the kind of awareness and discernment that we can develop through mindfulness practice um, to examine not just the patterns of distress in our own personal psychology, but the patterns of distress um, in our culture and in our world. Um, and there are some really great innovations that have been taking place over a number of years in this in this domain, you know like I say called social mindfulness as a, as a kind of category. Um, and there are newer um, developments looking specifically at how we address the climate climate crisis, but this you know, hopefully, in a couple of years time, we'll have we'll have many more, and they will have well-funded research showing their some of their effects.
0: so I, I, I've never ended a podcast with a quote, but uh, there were so many beautiful quotes uh, in the study. So I want to really read it and and make this as 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 my personal end, but feel warmly invited to also. <laughs> after after that quote, to maybe riff off the quote and make it your last words. It's a quote from Joanna Macy, an author, activist, and scholar of general systems theory and deep ecology. And it says, the most remarkable feature of this historical moment on earth is not that we are on the way to destroying the world. We've actually been on the way for quite a while. It is that we're beginning to wake up as from a millennia-long sleep to a whole new relationship to our world, to ourselves, and each other. Mm. Thanks, Jamie. Mm.
1: Yeah, lovely to pick that out, Alistair. And quite a bit of synchronicity there, because I picked that out of the report in a meeting with the UN that I had today, um, because I'm a member of... um, uh, a something called the Conscious Food Systems Alliance that the United Nations Development Programme has, has just has convened over the last year. And I've been working with them on, on a manifesto for what this Conscious Food Systems Alliance is all, is all about. And when we're drafting our manifesto, which is all about this same, the same theme as our report, connection, disconnection, uh, uh, reconnection, and, um, and developing a whole different mindset, a whole different relationship um, uh, with our home, planet Earth, um, and all of our systems. Um, and I felt that that, that quote, yeah, is, um, is where it's at because, because it has this sense of, this is happening, this is already happening, it's coming together. You know, like, we haven't got to create this new world, this new world is emerging you know um like people in from the deputy prime minister of belgium who i was at a meeting with last year to you know to grassroots people working uh in the amazon who are part of this this network um we're starting to talk about interbeing um and what a radically different world we can create with that paradigm rather than our of
0: of individualism Thanks, Jamie. Very happy, and I have to feel like this podcast was was more the kick off of a you know deeper and Yeah, that would be nice. Meaningful um, stuff yeah. happen. Thanks so much, yeah, Jamie. Thanks,
1: human.